Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters episode number 44. Today's guest is Erica Lynn Swartz. Erica loves Broadway and she's the co-producer to Moline Rose, the musical. She's a true expert in world of musicals. She's an active fundraiser and investor in several shows. She'll tell us how ordinary people like us can profit from investing in Broadway shows. Welcome, Erica, to Wealth Matters Podcast. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? Good. Thank you for asking. So I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to record the podcast this morning. I'm happy to be here. So uh, can you give us a brief intro of what do you do? Uh, sure. Uh, for the past about 20 years, I've worked uh, mostly in, in live entertainment, ma- mainly with a theatrical focus. So most of my career has been on Broadway as a general manager and co-producer on several shows. Uh, currently, I'm the general manager for the Emerson Colonial Theater in Boston, which means that I run um, the overall day-to-day operations of the theater. I program the events and shows that come to the theater and oversee all financial aspects of uh, producing and presenting those shows. Uh, Many of those shows are shows that are having a pre-Broadway tryout that may or may not then move on to Broadway. Oh, interesting. So, uh... Mm -hmm. Was this your passion or how did you get into Broadway shows or theatrical? Is this sure. what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, um, so it, it is a passion of mine, certainly. I, um, like many people in the theater business, uh, started as a performer when I was a middle school, high schooler probably. It was when I got very serious about um, studying theater and dance and singing lessons and all of those things. Um, So when I went to college, I was first exposed to the other side of theater, the management side. um, And I chose to focus my studies not on performing, but actually on directing. And it was through assisting on a lot of shows that I learned the whole other business side of theater. And I was hooked. Uh, I, I loved performing, but performing in itself is a very challenging industry. And what I also learned is that performing and being a performer in a show is a, is actually though a very vital part it's it's kind of the last piece of the puzzle so that <laughs> a show will be in development and and going through its life cycle um long 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 before the performers get involved and the performers like i said are the last piece of the puzzle so there's this whole landscape being built and how's the show going to be marketed and what are ticket prices going to be and what's the vision of the show and who's the creative team of the show and how is the show going to have its best journey and all of those discussions and conversations happen many times years and years in advance and then they go look for the actors and then the show actually gets performed. Uh, so for me, there was just so much of an interesting, you know, 
perspective to, to find so many different things that were possible opportunities to work in the theater. Um, and so I really jumped in while I was in college working on the, the management and producing side of things and really have never looked back. And I've expanded in my career to, as I said, be a general manager, which means at the venue that I work at and other venues I've worked at, um, I get to do a whole wide array of programming. So it's not just Broadway shows, though that's obviously the passion where I started, um, but I also produce and present comedy shows and music oh, concerts wow. and film screenings and yeah, really anything that kind of falls under the live entertainment banner. Um, so Broadway is certainly where I got my start and where I have spent the bulk of my career and, and certainly my first love. So that's interesting. I, I thought the performers are the pretty important part as well as, you know, mm -hmm. the, they are, you'll be deciding on them very fast. But now I understand that, yes, there is a lot more work goes up front before performers are involved. Yeah, and, and they are a very important part. We certainly couldn't do the shows without them. Um, but it's very interesting when you work on a show. A lot of times, like I said, it can be for years. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is, a performer may be involved, but then the time that the show actually comes to fruition, that performer may suddenly be working on a film or may no longer be available or any of those types of, you know, variables. So you learn that the performers are really that, that like I said, the last piece, uh, though a very, very vital and, and integral of piece. Course. Um, yeah, but it, it is very interesting to learn mm -hmm. that I do think there's, uh, in my own perception as well before I really got into the business was it's all about the actors and the focus is on the performers and the performances. And again, that is certainly a hugely vital part and, and, and so integral. Um, but there was also so much more on the business side of show business. That's, that's incredibly exciting as well. So when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that you raised capital for this Broadway shows. What do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Sure. So um, much like a real estate syndication, uh, a Broadway show is its own entity, um, typically its own LLC, um, and it has an offering memorandum and it has subscription documents, um, all that lay out the investment opportunity in the show. And I, along with a team of other people, raise the capital to make the show happen. Um, so it, when you think of the design and the creative team and the rental of the theater and the costumes and the building of all of the sets, all of those elements are part of the capitalization for a show, advertising, all of those things. So we put together a budget for the show and all of that money needs to be fundraised and it's its own entity. That's interesting. So in real estate world, again, I'm comparing it to real estate because that's what I mm -hmm. do. Uh, sure. Real estate world, it's it's uh, the lending as well as the investment is backed by an asset or real asset. So how does that work, uh, or how how is it laid out in the PPM, etc. About the Broadway show, what are the assets and how how does it work? Sure. So um, there, the one difference you, you make a key differential is that there's not the lending aspect, right? So um, we're not going for any banking financing that way. It's all straight investments from individual investors or in some cases, small corporations, right? So, um, or could be large corporations, but it's all individual investments. So basically what's laid out in the offering documents is that um, 
let's say a show is projected its full cost will be about 10 million in that 10 million they're looking for like i said all those upfront costs of the designers and the creative team and building the sets and building the costumes and the theater rent for a certain amount of portion of um you know for the total kind of what they think they'll need to make the show happen on broadway so to speak and then there's an operational budget as well which is how much does it cost to keep the show running each week so the comparable in the real estate market would be kind of what are your ongoing upkeep expenses with the units um, any type of improvements you're looking for now that being said a, a broadway show doesn't need or have a, a capex budget right? right but we will have improvements we will have ongoing advertising we uh -huh. have to pay the actors every week we have to pay the theater rent every week um so you can think of it that way but every investment is a straight investment there's depending on the total capitalization of a show there's normally a minimum investment allowed uh -huh. um and then there are various you know investor pools kind of coming together syndicating if you will um to get to that large number that is so uh, can you give me an idea about different ways these shows make money and i'm just trying to understand sure. it from an investor perspective myself <laughs> Sure, of course. So um, simple, let me walk you through very simply. The investments that are made are a straight investment that get returned up until 100%. Okay. Uh, once until there's 100% recoupment and you've been paid back in full your original investment, um, there, then 50% of any further distributions go to the general partners and 50% to the limited partners. That is the most typical deal you'll see on Broadway. There have been variations on the theme, as there always are, which is why it's always so important to read your documents. But <laughs> typical deal for Broadway is straight investment, and then there's a 50-50 split post-recruitment. Um, when you go through the process, um, Sorry, can you start, w repeat the question again? I'm so sorry. Yeah, like different ways uh, these shows make money. Sure, uh, thank you, thank you. Sure. Um, so that's a typical kind of vantage point from the investor. The amount, the revenue drivers for the show, obviously your main driver is your ticket sales, right? So um, you're looking at basically seeing if ticket sales uh, offset the weekly costs and more. And that profit margin there is what you're looking at to recoup the initial investment. The other profit um, centers for a show can be merchandise, can be a sale of film rights, can be, um, I'm trying to think what else, album, like a cast album. Uh -huh. So anything that's tied to the show. Now the most interesting thing to know when you're investing in a Broadway show, typically, the originating company gets paid a royalty fee from all the subsequent companies as well. So for example, if you invest in the original Broadway company of a show, and then there's a national tour, or then there's a production in London, or then there's a production that's in Germany or Australia, et cetera, et cetera, all of those companies pay back a fee, a licensing fee to the originating company. So it's always best if you can have the opportunity to invest in a show that you invest in the first production and then as typically, as an investor in the first production, you get a right, a right of first refusal to um, invest your pro rata share in any subsequent companies. Oh, now where, yeah, and where really successful shows can make a lot of money is 
beyond those uh, what we call first class productions or international productions um, is subsidiary rights as well. So if you think of every high school does a production of Annie somewhere. Well, there was an originating company of Annie. And for a certain period of time, all of those high school and regional productions of Annie pay fees into a company that go to the originating company. So so that's a when you have a real hit show. And actually, sometimes there are shows that don't necessarily make their investment back on Broadway, but in subsequent productions or in the licensing of those productions, they will make back their investment and then some. So it's something that when I'm analyzing shows and thinking about, is this going, you know, does this have a likelihood of being a better investment? I'm thinking as far out as, is this something that could be produced in multiple arenas later down the line. So that's interesting. So uh, when I invest as an investor or someone invests, how are they paid and they are they part of all of this, right? So uh, if, if the show is making money from merchandising and any uh, mm -hmm. cast album and whatnot, are investors part of all of that? Uh, it, yep. If if you're investing in the originating company and the originating company has those rights, which is all detailed in the offering documents, then you would participate in all of that. And that is your most typical deal. Uh, in in theater specifically, the ultimate rights normally lie with the author. So essentially, the producers are leasing the show from the author for a certain period of time. So the the amount of monies that you get from subsequent things are if the author makes a deal to sell the show to become a film, you would get a portion of those sales and that would all come back to the originating company. Yes. Interesting. So mm -hmm. uh, do investors need to be accredited or sophisticated in this type of investments? It depends. Some shows specifically will only take accredited investors. Um, all SEC regulations, uh, you know, apply. So that will all be detailed in the offering documents. Uh, some shows will allow sophisticated but not accredited. It just depends on whether or not they'll take them. But it would be detailed. And uh, what is the typical minimum investment amount have you seen? Uh, it depends on the show. I, um, in the past, uh, twenty-five thousand or fifty thousand is typical okay. units for some of the larger shows. Especially, a musical is more expensive than a play, for example. Um, so, some of the musicals, it's more typical that it'd be a fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar minimum investment. Got it. And uh, what kind of returns an investor can expect while investing in this type of Broadway shows? Sure. Uh, it, it completely, completely depends. <laughs> of course. <laughs> There's, there, there are so many factors, as you know, in, in uh, any type of investment. Uh, um, it's certainly um, a high-risk environment, and I think it's very important to be upfront with investors about that. Uh, when I'm analyzing a show, I'm looking at a variety of factors for what I think why this one has a better shot than others. Um, but it's very hard to predict. There are many statistics flying around saying about how you know only a small percentage of shows make their money those aren't exactly true a lot of those statistics are specifically only looking at on broadway and as i mentioned earlier there are several different revenue generators that are potentially there for a show so shows can make money further out in their life even if they didn't make money in their initial broadway run um, but 
the returns run the gamut and how they happen on a hit show that's doing good business regularly. You can see distributions as frequently as monthly or quarterly. Okay. Um, on other shows, you know, it, yes, there are shows that never make it to the finish line. Typically, most shows, unless they're a real flop, uh, which also happens, but if, <laughs> if a show's a real flop, they tend to close early in the hopes of still returning at least, you know, 10 or 20% of the capital um, and to not just keep running and keep spending money. Right. Um other shows have a really great life, but maybe never really make it into major profit. And then there are the shows that knock it out of the park. And I think um, when my husband and I have spoken about this before, yes, we've had shows that have lost money. We happen to be very fortunate that we're involved in a show that's been a mega hit in the past few years. And that hit has completely wiped off any, uh. you know, deficit from a show that we had that lost money. So when they hit, they really hit for years and you'll see a very nice return for, um, you know, could be five to 10 years, maybe more, right? If you think about it, people who yeah. invested in the original Phantom of the Opera, yeah. it's still oh, wow. running, right? <laughs> you know, so if you think about that and that was, you know, way back in the eighties. So it's like, you know, someone who put in probably $25,000 then is still, seeing regular yeah. distribution. Phantom so, of the you know, Opera, The Lion King, Maureen Rao. Exactly. Some of those. Exactly. Yeah. And those are more, you know, and those tend to be once a generation, but right. but 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 more often, you know, there are shows that have a really nice healthy run for five or six or seven years. You're probably you're probably received the return of your investment in your after year one or somewhere in year two, and then you're seeing nice distributions for the next couple of years. So, it, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's such a wide range. Um, but again, you have to be comfortable with the investment you're making, just like you would have to be in any investment that you're making uh, to know what the risks are, and then to be able to kind of foresee what's happening. So that, this is awesome. So let's take a break mm -hmm. and then we'll talk about your heat and flop show. I try to figure out or dissect those shows. So let's take a quick break. Great. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm chatting with Erica about how to invest in Broadway shows. So, Erica, before we went on the, we took a break. Uh, you mentioned about a hit show. Uh, so, I want to talk mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, just from investment perspective, uh, what have you seen from your the best show or the best performing show as well as the worst or, or the flop show? Sure. Um, so, the the best show um, I can speak about. Uh, I'm very fortunate that we have an investment in Hamilton and it's a wonderful investment in that there are multiple companies of Hamilton now and it's still running on Broadway. It's still running on tour. It has a production in Chicago. It has a production in London. It actually has two tours going around North America actually right now. Um, so essentially, you know, on a hit show like that, it's not rare for you to receive a check every month or every six weeks or so from maybe not all six of those companies, but the majority of them and the others you may get a little bit 
you know, every other month, so to speak. It just depends. Uh, tours, for example, cost more depending on how often they're moving cities, right? So every time a tour right. moves to a new city, there's flights and trucking and hotels right. and things of that nature that change. Um, so tours pay back. They can pay back on a different schedule. Uh, similarly, when you have international shows, there are differences, obviously, in clearing the money through taxes and, you know, how it comes, how it gets converted, right? Just when you convert the money from pounds to dollars or right. I once worked on a show that was in Japan, just all of those types of banking factors that you have to think through because it can be right. large sums of money. Um, so those can delay some of the payment schedules, but it's it's still running. So it is yet to be seen how, how great the return will be. Uh, I also have the um, you know unique fortune. I'm a co-producer on the current production of Moulin Rouge, which just opened this past summer, but has come out of the gate very strong and is playing to sold out audiences nightly now on Broadway. Um, so it's a fantastic opportunity. And again, yet to be seen how it's, how it will perform financially and when it will start um, giving out profit distributions, but it's a very exciting show to be a part of. So we'll see. Um, in terms of, I don't want to say worse show because to <laughs> me, all you know er everyone's precious in a different way and special right. in a different way um, unfortunately the first show i ever took to broadway which was a play that i was so passionate about and it was uh, earlier in my career uh, unfortunately that play was very very widely praised it got great reviews uh, but it was up against uh, another play that had tv stars in it Ours did not. Ours was this small off-Broadway show that was making a big move to Broadway. Now, the exciting thing to me is that that play, uh, besides the fact that I just love the play, the artists who were in the play at that time were all downtown Broadway actors. And this became, later, we now know, a big break for all of them. Many of them have gone on to have starring roles in various TV shows and things of that nature and are having fantastic careers. So, you know, I take comfort in that we did a lot of great things for um, giving them exposure and the playwright and things of that nature. And I wouldn't change anything because I went into it with my eyes open. That show did lose the entire investment. Oh, wow. So from a financial perspective, it was very disappointing. However, I went into it knowing that it was probably one of the more high risk situations, but I was very upfront with my investors and it was very clear what we were trying to accomplish. And plays I've now know are much harder than musicals. The musicals are the big attraction. There's right. a lot of tourism that comes yep. into musicals. Most people, the typical statistic is that people see one show a year. So you have to think that if people are just traveling to New York and seeing one show a year, they're probably going to see one of the big splashy hot yep. musicals. And even, you know, there are, still plenty of people who haven't seen some of the shows that have been hits for years. So if they can't get to the hottest show that they want to see, they'll go to one of those other musicals that maybe was the big show last year or two years ago, because now it's easier to get tickets. It's very hard to get that same kind of attention for plays. Plays don't tend to run as long as well. Right. They cost a lot less. So the overall capitalization <laughs> um, is smaller, which is, which can be a good entrance point for a lot of people. Um, but 
for when you're really talking about a blockbuster, uh, it's it's typically a musical. Um, though there are there are plays that have stars, or there are plays that, for whatever reason, maybe hit at the right political time and have a moment and can take off. I think. Um, plays in general can be a lot more um, finicky in the market. Uh, it's a lot harder to get the attention for a play. Well, thank you for sharing that. So what mm-hmm. are the things to keep in mind while investing in something like this where most of the investors, including myself, do not understand this business? Sure. I think there are several key things, but the the most important thing that I look for is um, who's the team on the show. Uh, Much like I guess in in a real estate investment, you would be looking at who's the lead on the show. Who's I'm sorry in the investment, right? If you were comparing to real estate, yes. Who's the management company? Who's the broker? You know, who are the key people kind of standing as close to the deal as possible that know the much the most about it that you can ask the questions of same applies for Broadway. That's my, my first point of reference is always who's the team. So who's the director? If it's a musical, who's the choreographer, who's the creative people who are working on the show? Are they people who adhere to budgets? Are they people who are responsive to the other most important people that I always analyze, which is the lead producer and the general manager. So if you think about it, the lead producer is your CEO and your general manager is your CFO, right? Your general manager is really looking at the financial operations of the show, the day-to-day, the, you know, what is in the advertising budget, is the costume designer looking for fabric that's too expensive and going to put you over budget? You know, those, those very specific questions, to me, it's that's the team that's going to be managing the money. So, Um, and making sure that they're making responsible choices in regards to the money. So I think there are two key points there. Number one, looking at the overall team, what's their track record, what's their history, what's their relationship like? And then number two, who you invest with. So on a Broadway show, there can be several co-producers, but for me, I always think it's important for people to think about who they're investing through. How close is the person that they're investing through to the general manager or to if there's a lead producer above them? That's, that's a great to, point. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a great point. How close they are. Are you two levels down or if, they, if you are investing through a syndicator who doesn't even know the lead producer? Yeah. Correct. Correct. And it's important because when there are, you know, when a show's doing well, very few questions get asked, right? Everyone's very happy it's a hit. (laughs) When a show is having a harder time, there's a lot of questions that people may have, um, you know, may want answers for. And you want, as the person who's being the shepherd, if you will, of that money, you want to be, you you need to be, you have an obligation to be responsible for how that money's being spent. And communicating regularly with your investors about what is happening. Um, You know, sometimes shows are having a hard time, but they may then invest, you know, choose to take some of the investment and make a new commercial or something of that nature, right? So it's important to say, listen, here's how the money's being spent and here's why, but it's a responsible decision because we think this will happen, right? So so you you want to make sure that the person you're investing through is is able to get those answers or in, and is very much being kept involved in the conversation of what's happening with the day-to-day of the show. Interesting. No, thank you for sharing that. So can mm-hmm. you, uh, are you working on any shows in the pipeline? And, and when you are working on a show um, and raising capital, do you uh, also share like pro forma numbers, what the investors could expect? Like in real estate world, we mentioned sure. that, oh, you know, if you invest 50K or whatever, we'll 
as of now, the way we have analyzed the model, we see that in five years, you'll double your money, blah, 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 or you're going to the IRR would be 17, 18%. Do you do any of any kind of uh, pro forma numbers? We do. Um, we The most specific thing that we share with investors typically is what's called the recoupment chart, which is showing um, how quickly we think we could get back the initial capital based on a variety of factors, which are normally the average ticket price of the show and how well the show is selling based on the expenses we know, right? So uh, basically what the recoupment chart is going to show you is if we were to sell out at 100% with every ticket at a healthy average ticket price, which nowadays can be anywhere between like 110 and $140, you know, how quickly will we get back to the capitalization of, as I said earlier, I think like $10 million, right? So right. It's, a, it's a pretty simple formula, but the variables in there are, you know, the factors of like the royalties and the rent and various things. So you're kind of making your best guesstimate but showing how quickly we can recoup but you be con you know you are conservative on those numbers you, you want to use kind of the average ticket price not the highest ticket price you not the total gross potential and then you chart that through at 100 percent 90 percent 80 percent 70 percent you know and you see kind of where your break even is and how quickly it is um and a healthy a healthy dose is really if you can kind of see recoupment i think within the first year at around 60 to 70 percent occupancy because ideally right ideally you'll be a hit and ideally you'll be selling at 100 percent, and you'll get there faster and then right. you're just in profit distributions now the the reason we don't do in terms of what you were talking about and annualizing and looking at um year over year is more that we we don't know how the show's going to keep selling. That's the biggest, uh, you know, factor that we don't know. So what you tend to do is once your show starts putting tickets on sale, which will be long before your show opens, you can see where the trends are and you can kind of see where the price is going. And one thing that has become more and more popular is the dynamic pricing and really saying, oh, wow, Saturday evenings are really popular we can make tickets a little bit more expensive on a Saturday night, whereas Tuesday nights are not as popular. So maybe we drop ticket prices on the Tuesday night and you're, you're now constantly playing with those numbers all the time as part of management of a show. Uh, the internet has made it quite uh, easy to, to be more responsive in that way in terms of what the buying public's hunger is. Um, when you see that a show's a hit, you can start to say, okay, it's looking like we're going to have a solid, you know, the shows, what they do is they open up another block of tickets. So they may open up the next six months and then the next six months. That's when you can really kind of see what kind of staying power you have, but you don't right. have that figured out once a show initially opens. It's, it's only after a show opens that you can see how quickly the tickets are selling in that next immediate block. And then you choose to kind of open up the next block and the next block and the next block. The goal obviously is to run for years. Um, of course. So, <laughs> you know, it's really about the first marker is really about getting to recoupment. And then it's about how do you keep your expenses lean enough so that whatever, you know, revenue is coming in, you can distribute with a healthy reserve you know, and then the question, you know, inevitably in a show's, you know, life cycle, you, if you start to see ticket sales really starting to dip, 
there's that question of, okay, do we advertise more to try and get ticket sales up or is that not making a difference and really we need to sunset the show? So hopefully by then you've been running long enough that you've had um, several years of profit and hopefully the show has made enough of an impact that it will have a national tour or at that point has already launched a tour or some other subsequent production so that you will still have those additional potential revenues um, you know, that I talked about, those revenue channels. Oh, this was very helpful. Is there anything else uh, we did not discuss or you want to share about Broadway shows? Oh, sure. Well, you did ask if I have anything that I'm working on currently, Correct. which I do. Oh, um, wow. Actually, yeah. So um, this month, actually, we have a new show opening on Broadway. Uh, and it's actually an interesting one to speak about because it's very different than the models we were just discussing. It's called David Byrne's American Utopia. And what that is, is David Byrne, who is a, you know, a pop sensation uh, singer really from the 70s and 80s uh, in the band Talking Heads. Uh, He has a a new show that he did as a concert last year, just a touring rock concert that was very theatrical. And um, some people from the theater industry saw the show and said, you know, this would really fit well and belong on Broadway. Uh, And David loved the idea. And so he's doing this show on Broadway starting in October um, right now, and um, it's running through January. So that is what's called a limited engagement. And that is actually interesting to discuss because it's a completely different financial model than what we've talked about. When you have a limited engagement, you know exactly how many weeks the show's going to run for. Uh. So you have very hard fixed costs, and you can figure out very quickly what kind of money you need to make to make the show recoup. And then it's up to whether or not your tickets sell. In a limited engagement, you typically, though, don't then have the same revenue drivers because it's not, you know, no one else can be David Byrne and David Byrne's American Utopia. So it's not going to go on for years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. It's going to be this run and that's it. Um, So for those investors looking at those times of investments, some people enjoy that because they know exactly what the financial model is and there's a lot less variables. Uh, In the same regard, it can be limited because you only have, they're typically 16 to 20 weeks of performances and you only have that time to sell the tickets and make the money. So it's a different model, but uh, certainly something that's interesting. It tends to be a model associated with shows with stars in them because stars will only commit. Uh, They obviously have very busy schedules and other things. So that tends to be what works in their life. Um, You know, so it's, it's a different, it's a different way to do it. There are, as we all know, in, in, in investing, there are always multiple ways of doing deals, but um, those are the two typical things that you'll see specifically with Broadway investing. Uh, That was again, uh pretty enticing and interesting. So how can my listeners reach out to you? Sure. Uh, There's two simple ways. I have a website which uh, talks more about shows I've been involved in and about um, myself, which is avalonroad.net. And my email is eschwartz, so E-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z at avalonroad.net. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. If you are on the fence about investing or have any questions about alternative investments, please reach out to me at alpesh at wealthmatters.com. It's A-L-P-E-S-H at W-E-A-L-T-H 
matrs.com. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.